AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You're listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting on reparations. We waiting on reparations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like, ooh, that's what I was hoping to hear. You look like nobody took the time to choke you in years. I hope you're prepared. It's been a minute. I'm out of practice, kind of flaccid until you undress. And now it's time to whack this fact is usually I'm moderate. Try not to be obvious. Nice guy. Times like this, you like it when I'm dominant. Hold me in your hands again. Be stiffer than a mannequin. Look me in the eye. Don't move until I jam it in. I don't want to fucking hold you. Just want to fuck and hold you down until you squirt and then I drown. Like the fuck I'm told to Since you left There's been some kinky sex I've been exposed to So I hope you cool If I got some new shit I'm trying to show you My float disgusting Like fruitcake Ay Leave them struggling With toothache When I rattle niggas Like they caterpillars In a shallow river Of cool rain Ay Miss me with That group thing I'm city hall Every Tuesday I'm pissing off All of the power dealers And kissing on All of the cute gays She's sad and bitter with an average figure. I might shower with her. Is that bad to consider? Is it in the drag that your girl's in my lap again like she a napkin at dinner? She was a capitalist, unattracted to women until I came macking on Twitter. Now she likes Jacobin and dropping banners from bridges and dunking on fashions with glitter. Dope. Yo. I don't think I heard that one. I just wrote it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Hurry up. So, how are you doing? 
<laughs> I'm fine. You you had a little adventure this weekend. I didn't did. You? You're I always did. having adventures. I was having a little adventure, so I uh, drove down to Stone Mountain, where white supremacists were gathering to defend yeah. the Confederate monument carved in the face of Stone Mountain, the largest basil based relief sculpture in the world, or something like that. I like, saw that on uh, like Twitter. Like yeah, it was yeah. kind of crazy. There was a uh, yeah. So we little- showed up. Um, there was a coalition of I think like thirty different organizations around the southeast, from as far away as like Birmingham. I think there actually were some anti-fascists that came down who flew in from Portland to take part um, to resist the the gathering of white supremacists there to defend the Confederate monument. And to call for the sandblasting of Stone Mountain. So what went down? Because like as far yeah. as it looked like from if you were just, you know, sitting on your ass at home watching, you know, TV and seeing it you yeah. know, on your Twitter feed, it seemed like it was a full on clash of like yeah, different off, groups, armed groups and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so uh, the, the white supremacists were not issued a permit for their protest. And so they actually ended up locking down Stone Mountain Park to prevent them from gathering there, but they were showing up nonetheless, so we were going to show up nonetheless um, and just make it known to them that, you know... You weren't going to stand for it. They ain't going to stand for that shit, so... Wasn't uh, there a protest in Snow Mountain earlier in the summer? In the, Earlier in the summer might have been. Oh, yeah, yeah. so yeah, in that, fact, the Not Fucking Around yeah, Coalition... The- uh, gathered at Stone Mountain. Okay, that's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, like a couple hundred, maybe even a thousand people deep. But what really happened, maybe two blocks away, there was another gathering and there was like a big Confederate flag kind of waving back and forth above the gathering and all these people dressed in black. So people just started going over there. They're like, fuck, fuck your Kendrick Lamar. We're going to be all right. Like, we're going to go fucking take it to them right now. And I was kind of nervous because it seemed like a similarly sized gathering as the uh, anti-fascist gathering yeah. that we were all part of. But I got over there and what I discovered is that all the people clad in black were also Antifa. Um, and there was only like 11 like white supremacists yeah. with all of their guns and their camo, etc. But once the huge group started rolling up on them, we just like very quickly surrounded them, started like getting them to back up and started back away or chanting, go home, racist, go home. What would you say the demographic was of like the Antifa? Um, it was mixed. I mean, a, a lot of different ages and races. I'd say probably mostly white people, but because um, a good mix. I've of noticed folks. that there's been, especially since um, in the the months since the protest has kind of calmed down. I've noticed that just in terms of like the corporate media narrative, there seems to be kind of like a painting of progressivism in general, or just leftist thinking in general is like being a white thing and they're trying yeah. to like paint it as if and yeah, in cases no- like these when white supremacists are showing up with tons of guns uh, like it makes more sense to me for white folks to put their bodies on the line to push back because like of course they're gonna pull the trigger more easy if it's like a bunch, bunch of brothers of people, rolling yeah. up yeah and there were you know like uh, there were like a lot of black people there also okay, um, a lot of people from Stone Mountain that came and joined us and so that was the early part and then later on we did a march around the block and encountered some more groups I guess the white supremacists sort of consolidated there's only like 20 of them versus like 100 to 200 of us and so we were like 
I didn't, I was not participant in this part, but I watched with glee as their, you know, Confederate flags were getting snatched and burned, uh, other sorts of altercations. Unfortunately, they eventually fought back and one of the white supremacists uh, started spraying raid in the faces oh, shit. of the Antifa folks. Um, and then the cops showed up. And that's when me and my contingent like did. Because they're yeah. like, there's no like concrete demands to yeah. get arrested over. That's what's gonna, yeah. They take I, us to jail. Who knows where they're gonna take us to jail? We're from Athens. I'm not trying to get locked up in Fulton County or something. So we split, but um, all in all, we humiliated them and it felt really good. Yeah, I mean, they're, they should be used to L's by this point. Yeah. Well, you know, but I yeah. was, I was kind of shocked uh, when you came back because. You know, when I brought up possibly what we wanted to do the episode about and you were kind of aware of what was going on, I was shocked with as busy as you are that, you know, that you this even reached your radar. But this uh, whole situation with the Cardi B and Meg The Stallion song. Yeah. How do you pronounce I would pronounce it WAP. WAP. How would you pronounce it? WAP. Okay. WAP. Like doing the WAP. Well, I mean, it started a bunch of discussion and it got, you know, both of us thinking. This episode, we're going to be discussing the history of obscenity law in the United States and its implications for the conversations that have come up surrounding Cardi B and Meg The Stallion's new song, WAP. Concerning uh, primarily, you know, sexually explicit lyrics and in particular, you know, hip hop and society at large's reaction towards women taking control of the subject of sexuality. So on August 7th, rappers Cardi B and Meg The Stallion caused a mini uproar with the release of their song WAP, which is an acronym for wet ass pussy. <laughs> Uh, the raunchy and explicit club banger with the ladies, you know, they run down a checklist of their sexual wants, needs, exploits. It's, Abilities. You know, it's, it's, it's got funny innuendo, punchlines, trap beat. It's standard shit, you know? I mean, it's like typical club banger. It's got a dope sample from that 90s dance song, uh, There's Some Whores in This House by Frank Ski. You know, there's some whores in this house. There's some whores. You heard this shit. Yeah, but could it be considered obscene? My immediate answer would be no, and I'm not really sure that it is considered obscene. What do you think? I mean, I think having done some research into uh, how obscenity is legally defined, and we'll get more into that in a second, I would say no, because it does have artistic merit, but we'll come back to that. But culturally, what do you think? When I talk with a lot of friends that are my age, we're always, we always talk about we're the generation that's old enough to have known life before the internet was crazy all over the place, mm -hmm. but we're young enough to have grown up a little bit in the internet age. Mm -hmm. And I find kids these days are exposed to a lot more quicker. Yeah. And just culturally, compared to when I was a kid, just like sexuality and sexual expression is much more accepted than it was even 10 years ago. For sure. And we'll talk <laughs> yeah. a little bit about the trailblazers that made that possible yeah. within music. Yeah. I feel that's gotten lost in some of the, uh, the the conversation around the song is, you know, you've obviously you have the people who are grandstanding on like some moral basis that is like, oh my God, I can't believe that there's a song where they're talking about that ass pussy. You know, and then yeah. you've got uh, the hoteps who are like, oh, women shouldn't, 
talk about these things and she should... Rear children. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know why we're entertaining what these people think, but obviously those voices are out there. But the reason that in 2020 that that's not like the dominating opinion is because of people who blazed saying right, and, and yeah. put that work in and made those songs and made those statements so that there's people who walked on glass and hot coal so that Cardi B and Meg the Stallion could gallop in the fields <laughs> and we're going to we're going to pay some homage to them today yeah so. I feel like the song is definitely growing on me if it weren't for covid I'd definitely be dancing to this at church bar every saturday first on the topic of it being obscene, because since there's so many people that are pearl clutching, you know, like they've never heard something like this before. Why don't we break down a little bit of what obscenity actually is and how it's been dealt with in the American legal system? So the first ever federal law restricting the distribution of obscene materials came out it came about in 1873, largely thanks to the efforts of anti-vice activist and total killjoy. Anthony Comstock, who famous anarchist Emma Goldman referred to in her autobiography as the leader of America's moral eunuchs. <laughs> the Comstock Act prohib- prohibited sexually explicit material to be distributed through the mail, which included information about birth control and abortion, which I think is an important fact. They sneak those sort of things in there, don't they? Right. It's all, I mean, like, it's about. It, 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 I think this history is important because it shows how laws restricting freedom of speech when it comes to sexuality and the ways that that trickles down into the culture have always been about controlling women yeah, and controlling what women can do and what women can say. However, the legislation uh, did not define obscenity and instead left it to the court to determine on a case-by-case basis. And U.S. Um, obscenity law is actually unusual in this aspect in that there's no uniform national standard. Um, there's an explicit legal precedent, the Miller test, which we'll talk about in a second, um, that allows something which is legally obscene in one jurisdiction to be legally fine in another um, there doesn't exist a specific listing of which exact acts are to be classified as obscene on like a national scale. Now, preceding the Miller test, there were several standards historically by which something could be deemed legally obscene. In 1896, the case of Rosen versus the United States, the Supreme Court adopted the same obscenity standard as had been articulated in the famous British case Regina versus Hicklin, 1868. The Hicklin test defined material as obscene if intended to deprave or corrupt the minds of those who are open as such immoral influences. You know, people whose hands a publication of this sort could fall into. Which I think is interesting because it's like, what is depravity? What is corruption? Because on the other hand, you might consider, and many do and are considering a song like WAP to be very sexually empowering because they're talking about what they want. They're talking about what they can do. They're talking about what their standards are. And articulating for themselves, they're like age, they're sexual agents rather than being like sexual objects acted upon. And in that sense, it's actually uh, like bolstering, like confidence bolstering. But I don't know. I mean, like on the other hand, yeah, that sounds like a very fancy way of saying people who were um, maybe frightened by their own erections came up with these laws. That's the, yeah, okay. Yeah, so this got thrown out in the mid-1950s, the, the Hicklin test, and then it was supplanted by the Roth test, which said that something is obscene if to the average person applying contemporary community standards, the dominant theme of the material taken as a whole 
appeals to the prurient interest. So if it makes you feel a little, <laughs> if you feel a little tingle, if it makes you feel a little tingly, if it makes you a little uncomfortable, yeah. If you're if you get a boner and you're scared by yeah, it, yeah, it's like oh my god. And you're an average person applying contemporary community standards, and then also you rewind shit by like. 250 years, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, or like yeah. ankles and collarbones. <laughs> or like, oh my God, what's happening to me, Mom? Uh, there you go. The test got another upgrade in 1973 with the court case Miller versus California, which established the Miller test as the new metric for obscenity that we still use today. Um, and with it, you know, determining whether or not material is protected by the First Amendment. So the Miller test also called the three-prong obscenity test, says... Um, whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work taken as a whole arouses some kind of sexual desire anxiety. Whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct or excretory functions. It's interly, interesting how those are looped in together. <laughs> um, specifically defined by applicable state law. And then the last was uh, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Which is, it's last because it's the last line of defense. So it's the last like, line of defense, It's yeah. like if, if, they, if the, none of the other stuff could be proven, then it's like that last bit is like, man, I don't like this. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If all three conditions are satisfied by the text in question, the work is considered obscene. So it can't just be talking about an excretory function. Yeah. It can't just be whether or not you get a scared boner when you listen to it. It has to be all of these things together. Okay, so let's go down. Let's let's try to let's let's put it to the test then. Does WAP pass the Miller test? So depends on how you define the average person applying contemporary community standards. Because, like you said at the top, yeah, I, a lot a lot of teens today grew up in the wild west of the internet. It's really when I was a kid. Let's say when I was like 13, 12, I'd say is around when I personally think. I don't know what, what my parents think, but like I was, I was around the age when I think my mom probably would have like been like, you're listening to what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so let's say that age. Yeah, I would have had to go into a record store to buy, you know what I mean? To get a hold of it because yeah. they probably wouldn't have played this on the radio and there was no internet where I could just hear it uncensored. Mm-hmm. So that would so the average person of my day, not like a kid or anything like that, I guess would have been in their late teens, early twenties, yeah. right? Okay, now the average person that's going to be exposed to it, just keeping it a buck, right? We're talking like eight year olds. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I'm saying? That's just if we're keeping it 100 percent like honest. An eight-year-old has the time to, like, stream one song 27 times on Spotify. Before you stop them. You, you know what oh, I mean? <laughs> like, what that's, that's not like an adult with, like, bills and responsibilities. Well, I, I think the work does depict in uh, patently, uh, patently offensive sexual conduct. They talk, yeah, they're like, you know. I wouldn't say patently offensive. Cultural standards have changed. Yeah. Just, just to go back, if we're talking about 1999... Then yeah, you know I could I could totally understand. We've got this dynamic of the Christian right and all that sort of shit. That doesn't exist at all in 2020. Like there literally is no one that has any sort of moral high ground to like get mad at a sexually explicit song in 2020. 
I just don't, I don't think so. There's yeah. there's no one that's living up to that. We're all I think at this point we all kind of under. I think at this point it's just patently hypocritical <laughs> to think that anything in the song is patently offensive. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the third point: whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. So I think with this, what I mean, you can I I do think the song has artistic merit. I do think Meg's cadence her flow is pretty dope mm-hmm. i mean i'm not a super fan of cardi b's like flow is um pretty standard for her but political value i think it has unintended political value you know kind yeah. of kind of like what we were uh, we talked about on a few episodes ago about people's intent and it's kind of one of those things where i don't think that it was intended to be that statement but just in the midst of the uproar about it, it's kind of... I don't know. I feel like Cardi B is pretty smart. I, w- I feel I w- like she it's, understands. It's not really a question of whether or not Cardi B is smart or Cardi B, like, it's not about her capabilities. As a matter of fact, she is, like, you know, on record recently amidst all of this, like, pretty much putting that out there. It was like, hey, I tried to make a serious song before. Nobody streamed it. People stream when I talk about my pussy, so I'm going to talk about my pussy. She's like, you guys should stream. She, she's like, you guys should stream the, the female rappers that don't talk about their pussy. That was pretty much her her argument for it. Which, hey, you know, it's like, I, do you think? I get it. It's just, she's done songs like this before. So I don't understand why this one, unless her whole entire rap shtick is like, this whole thing is for the purpose of sexual expression empowerment and i get that that makes sense and it very well might be the case but i don't know why this song would be the song that is chosen to make that statement when the city girls twerk song that she did just last summer was pretty much the same song with a better beat in my opinion so in the 1970s we kind of developed the standards for obscenity that are still widely used today but the battle over obscenity in music really ramped up in the 80s with the parents music resource center the pmrc assembling a list of 15 songs uh deemed unsuitable content in 1985 and levying particularly heavy criticism against prince's darling nikki after co-founder tipper gore heard her 11 year old daughter sing the lyrics which included an explicit mention of masturbation let's uh let's backtrack and check out those um 15 songs we've got prince's darling nikki we've got a sheena easton sugar walls judas priest eat me alive vanity strap on robbie baby (laughs) motley crew bastard acdc let me put my love into you Hmm. Hmm. uh twisted sisters we're not gonna take it Yeah, so Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It, got put on there for violence. And I, you know, I remember being a real little kid, but like uh, they were actually were, you know, in the halls of Congress actually testifying, you know, towards this whole entire situation. Yeah, yeah. So um, the Record Industry Association of America responded to this complaint by introducing an early version of their content warning label. And then PRMC pushed back and proposed that a music rating system work more similarly to the Motion Picture Association America's film rating system for movies. The RIAA, the record folks, alternatively suggested 
using a warning label reading parental guidance, explicit lyrics, and after continued conflict between the organizations, the matter came up in a September hearing of the United States Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Uh, and so, as you were saying, notable musicians Frank Zappa, John Denver, Dee Snyder, each testified at the hearing with strong opposition to the PMRC's warning label system and censorship in general. Approximately two months after the hearing, the organization agreed on a settlement in which audio recordings were to either be affixed with a warning label reading explicit lyrics, parental advisory, or have its lyrics attached to the backside of the packaging. So, you know, we all know the parental advisory sticker. It's really funny. Which really, like, I remember seeing that shit as a kid and being like, I want that record, mommy. Well, you know what? The You know how, like, I'm a huge Ice-T fan, yeah. right? Ice-T was one of the artists that was, like, mired in this and at the forefront of it. So it was a huge backdrop to a lot of his early albums like he had a song called freedom of speech that was literally the story of this whole thing and he had a rhyme that was um pmrc you stupid fucking asshole the stickers on the record that's what makes us sell gold can't you see you alcoholic idiots the more you try to suppress us the larger we get i can't believe i just remembered that that's crazy it's one of those things where it's like when a song comes out like wop or any any sort of song and people who are fans of it because hey Everybody's got a reason to not like something. And I make music too. I don't make it with any sort of expectation that everybody's going to like it. So, hey, everybody has their reason and everybody's reason can be legit to them. But when fans of a certain artist feel that criticism against that artist for something is like persecution or, oh, why are you guys going against, you know, it's like, yo, at a certain point in time, Artists were really being persecuted, like, by the government, not Twitter comments and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. In 1990, Broward County, Florida Sheriff Nick Navarro arrested and charged record store owners who sold the rap group to Live Crew's album as nasty as they want to be. So literally getting persecuted by the government for, like, the circulation of obscene materials. There was a case of it being sold to a 14-year-old girl. Um... And, and yeah, I mean, it was. It's, a if you sex. haven't heard "Nasty as You Want to Be," you know, yeah. it's it's got the, the the famous single "Me So Horny." Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's uh, it's so, what yeah. you would expect. So Navarro yeah. believed the album constituted obscenity, and then they no. ended up going to court over it. Now Skywalker Records, which was the uh, company that put out the album, and Two Live Crew's lead performer Luther Campbell and the four members of the group filed a lawsuit in federal court seeking a judicial declaration that their album was not obscene and the actions of Navarro imposed an unconstitutional prior restraint on expression. A federal district court judge declared the record obscene in Skywalker Records versus Navarro 1990, applying the Miller test from the Supreme Court decision Miller versus California. So they didn't think that Misa Horny had like political value. Wait for it. However, the plaintiffs appealed to the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which reversed in Luke Records versus Navarro 1992. The appeals court explained that the plaintiffs had submitted expert testimony that their album contained serious artistic value. Ah, a contingent not refuted by the sheriff through any expert testimony. Other than, you know, he just submitted a tape recording of the album. And I was like, can you believe this? <laughs> and this is all from uh, David L. Hudson Jr., who's a law professor at Belmont who publishes widely on First Amendment topics. Yeah. 
Now, many other rappers have been threatened through the years with obscenity charges and just different types of censorship. Uh, like I was saying before, Ice-T was a pioneer of this. Too Short has come under fire for his uh, lyrics. A rap lyrics became the subject of the U.S. Supreme Court case. Alonis versus the United States, 2015, when the court evaluated whether a man committed a true threat when he posted rap lyrics that allegedly threatened his ex-wife and others. Now, can rap music make people violent? That was the essence of the argument filed by attorneys for three family members of the slain Texas state trooper Davidson versus Time Warner, 1997. Now, the state trooper was killed by Ronald Howard, who was listening to the Tupac album, Tupacalypse Now, at the time. But that's a whole other issue for another episode in itself, so let's stick to talking about the sex stuff. All right, sex stuff. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, music discussion. We've been talking about this WAP song and... You know, I don't want to. I don't want to get too insidery on it. So let's not just assume that everybody has heard it, and let's yeah. just listen to a little bit of it right now. my mouth, In the wave of everyone having their takes on the song, from what I've been seeing, there's a lot of the sentiment of finally, 
women in hip hop are expressing themselves in this way or, you know, in, in people's effort to dunk on the trolls who are coming out and having something negative to say. I feel that to give Cardi and Megan props for putting out a song like this, I feel people are serving a blind eye to the type of artists who have come out before and put out songs like this before. Sexually explicit lyrics in hip hop aren't a new thing by any, any means. stretch of the <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Obviously, you know, with with that is the issue of the double standard between when men make sexually explicit songs and, mm-hmm. or have sexually explicit lyrics and when women do. I mean, it mirrors much of. <laughs> Contemporary life yeah. still. Uh, I think that. Uh, well, why, why do you think that is though? For the men who who do, like what? Because because there, there's still a prevailing notion that women are sexual objects and not sexual agents. Like it's you know you see a girl with a fat ass and you're like damn girl I'm trying to get your number. Uh, like talk like bragging on their sexual exploits. It's like a it's it's like a really. Uh, pernicious but like pervasive aspect of like masculinity uh and so it's like just horrific and totally subversive not groundbreaking anymore but still really challenges the prevailing paradigm when women claim their sexual agency and talk about like if it don't hang you can't bang a common critique of just hip-hop in general is how a lot of it is kind of like, you know, somebody finds something that's dope and that works and that catches on and then a trend follows. And then for every one rapper who's doing their thing, you've got like 15 cats who are like biting, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like a common thing to begin with, right? So do you think that there's any room for perhaps the critique that with some of the trailblazing female hip-hop artists who have blazed that trail, you know, I can tackle the subject and be in control of sexuality and I can be just as sexually aggressive as like a man rapping about the topic and shit like that. Do you feel with the artists who kind of found success with that, that that perhaps has started a trend that maybe has lasted too it's, long? It's, crea- it's created a profitable lane. Like you said at the beginning, uh, Cardi was talking about like, I put out songs that were smart. Yeah. And nobody listened to them. But I make millions off of talking about my pussy. So I'm going to talk... And yeah. there's nothing And so there's a, there's an incentive motive. There's, there's a nothing inherently motive. wrong with that. I just for me, I'm not shocked when like people who I know who are like a bit snobbish about their music taste don't fuck with stuff like this. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean why would you? <laughs> you know, like so something like this doesn't strike me as it being necessarily made for someone who's thinking really that deeply about the music that they're listening to. I mean, I think, like, getting linguistically imaginative in the way you're describing sexual scenarios, there's a lot of room to grow still. Like, uh, Cardi and Meg aren't talking about it in the same way Mm -hmm. that Lil' Kim did back in 1994. Whoa, well, I would, I would have to, I would have to, um, I would have to disagree. I think that it could definitely be argued that perhaps the Lil' Kim's of the world were more explicit than Cardi. I mean, first of all, we don't even have to and take so it back to Cardi B. And so that's, we and can so- talk about contemporaries right now. There is a contemporary. I mean, have you heard of Cupcakes? Yeah. We, we reviewed a Cupcake, Cupcake song, song yeah. on an episode before. Cupcake, who is... Cupcake's not like a international, I'm filling up stadiums. giant stadiums. Yeah. But Cupcake is by no means a small artist. Yeah. In Cupcake, I would say 
on a song by song basis. You know me. I'm one I'm I'm a rap file. I listen to rap just constantly all the time. Cupcake is I mean Cupcake's tame shit is like worse than wow. Mm-hmm. For real, for real. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating about that. As a matter of fact, I, I pulled up a Cupcake song in our, our further on our music discussion that we can check out. But yeah, like Cupcake really goes in. So even amongst her contemporaries, I don't think that this classifies as like super bad. I think what really is getting people is just the hook, just the, 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 the wet ass pussy aspect of the hook. And that is a common theme with people's rejection of certain dirty, quote-unquote, dirty rap songs. But let's first talk about this subgenre of porno rap. Slash dirty rap. Yeah. Okay, so the genre has been around since the 1970s with Blowfly and his uh, Rap Dirty album. We we talked about Blowfly uh, when we talked about how uh, Chuck D was inspired by his lyrics for a line in the song Fight the Power. It wasn't until the 1980s when Oakland rapper Too Short released the 1983 album Don't Stop Rapping, containing multiple dirty sex subjects, that sex became the central focus. Two Life Crew garnered much negative publicity, however, and it wasn't until their 1989 album As Nasty As They Want to Be that dirty rap became a legitimate subgenre in itself. So you got Sir Mix-a-Lot, Cool Keith, Akinelli. I've been saying that wrong. <laughs> Nobody corrected me this whole time. I contributed along the way with songs like Put It In Your Mouth and the album Sex Style. But one woman, we feel, really took the style of being sexually explicit in raps and harnessed it and brought it into the mainstream. And that is Lil' Kim. I mean, I want to say we feel, but I think it's kind of... At the end of the day, when especially when we're talking about the music stuff, we're fans. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this is our opinion. But I think with this particular issue, it might be safe to say that Lil' Kim is the mother of this mainstream sex rap shit. And all these bitches is her son. <laughs> but um, just harking back to just memory, it's like... It's not to say that women artists didn't reference sex or talk about sex. As, as you're going to hear, I mean, Salt and Pepper's Let's Talk yeah. About Sex precedes Little Kim by yeah. almost and a Shoop, decade and a half. Yeah. yeah. Shoop is by at least like, you know, five, three or four years, you know, yeah. before Little Kim. But just the uh, making that like the, the part of the identity to the extent of how it was Too Short's identity. Because, for example, a, a rapper like Too Short. His first album had a couple sex songs on it. People dug those sex songs, right? Ice-T Ice had a similar thing where every album that he would release, he had a sex song on it. And people dug those songs too. It was like something you expected when you like listen to Ice-T albums. Like, oh, he always has one song that's like graphically like sexual. But the thing is, Too Short adopted that as his like rap gimmick. Where he was like, okay, I'm the rapper who makes sex songs. And that became the defining like element of Too Short's music. You know what I'm saying? Ice-T didn't go that route. There have been other like, you know, female rappers who have done the same thing, who have made their music and it's like, oh, they'll have a reference. They'll have a shoop or they'll have a let's talk about sex, but that's not like It the, doesn't define them. It doesn't define their like, their overall it's rap like their character. Persona, yeah. Little Kim took that on and said, no, this is my rap character. The name of my first album is Hardcore. We're going in. Yeah. Literally. So she completely reversed 
the roles of sexual objectification in rap is every bit as raunchy and explicit as anything any male artist had done before or was doing. And it was like aggressive. <laughs> An aggressive expression of from a woman in hip hop on a record. Um, and people, I mean, I was, I feel like I was, I was probably, I was like. How old were you in like 2000? Nine. Nine. All right. Yeah. yeah. So when Little Kim was at her peak in popularity, I feel, yeah, that's, that's when you were nine. That's when I was Kim When Little Kim had a out like uh, a song that was like on TRL. Yeah. It was just, this is another thing that kind of irks me out about a lot of this discourse about the Cardi B in Meg The Stallion song. It's like, Little Kim had a song called How Many Licks Does It Take? Yeah. That was like a hit song featuring Thong Song Cisco. That was like on TRL, like number one, number one. You know what I mean? It was like Britney Spears, Eminem, NSYNC. Lil' Kim, how many licks does it take? I will never forget. I will never forget accidentally finding that song on Napster. (laughs) And being like, scared my parents are going to hear that I heard it. And also getting like weird feelings when I heard it. Like that, the beginning of my sexual awakening was how many licks by Lil' Kim, for Um, sure. There was a... There's a little uh, passage uh, that I found in a uh, article with Dazed Magazine. It's uh, an article by I Tim like Hall. I feel like this does it well, yeah. Um, context- okay, so this is, this is to quote uh, Tim Hall in the, in the article. Contextually, we live in a world which just saw one of the most powerful countries elect a president accused of rape. Despite claiming to use his power to grab women by the pussy, Donald Trump has succeeded in his bid to one of the world's most influential titles and as a result looks set to threaten the rights of women and minorities across america elsewhere a rise in queer and female-led porn has sparked a new sexual revolution of sorts sites including make love not porn look to depict a more realistic portrayal of sex that actually appeals to the desires of women Yet the truth remains that promiscuous women and sex workers are still routinely and institutionally discriminated against. Events such as slut walk may be challenging prejudices towards promiscuous women, yet women's rights continue to be threatened and undermined. Ultimately, Hall continues, the all-encompassing message of hardcore is not rooted in any one time period. 20 years later, Kim remains an anomaly due to her willingness to flaunt her sexuality and flip the script on men with raw, sexually explicit lyrics. She may have been sexualized, but she was never unaware. She was more than willing to strip down, sex up, and dare men to desire her. By doing so, she set an example for women restricted by conservative values that tell women they can either be smart or sexy, but rarely both. Women are taught that to exploit their sexuality is to devalue their mind. Kim stuck two fingers up at this, achieving unprecedented success and critical acclaim while simultaneously flaunting her beauty, instructing men to fuck her as she wanted to be fucked. That's putting it perfectly. And I mean, just like looking back at it, it's like, you know, it's almost like she took the the caricature. It's like we've we've had the same issues for so long, but it's like I remember when the video Vixen was like... Th- there was just a point in hip-hop when... Just there was a lot more awareness, and I, it seems to me that it was like, hey, you know, women are depicted really fucked up, because it's like the the biggest, you know, we we have our female MCs that are out there, but it's not like there's enough of them, 
And then the depiction that we see of women after that is the video vixen. Scannily clad, emotionless, in most cases, girl just standing there staring either at the rapper or at the camera. Like, no expression, just I'm here, I'm, I'm part of the set, I'm a prop. And it's almost like Little Kim took that caricature and was like, that's going to be my rap character. Like, what happens if the video vixen can rap? You get to hear what the fuck she's thinking. So, and I feel that it created like a lane and even a sub subgenre in itself that I feel the likes of Nicki Minaj and Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion are kind of following in that tradition, you know, of, of that sort of, uh, I guess you can call it style, right? Rap style? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to really put it into context, but in a pre-internet age, Little Kim was like the hip-hop pin-up goddess yeah. sex symbol, that whole thing. At the end of the day, let's just not, let's just not, let's act like we've fucking been here before. You know what I'm saying? Like this, we can like our shit and we can elevate shit without forgetting about shit. You know what I'm saying? Just because yeah. something happened before some of us were born doesn't mean that it no matter... Uh, no longer has any sort of relevancy or anything like that, you yeah. know? <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
So let's talk about some music. So let's talk about Sex, released in 1991 on their Black Magic's album, a salt and pepper sample here. I'll take you there by the Staple Singers. In hip hop history is made. Well, let's talk about sex for now. To the people at home or in the crowd, it keeps coming up anyhow. Don't they discussed the song with Rolling Stone in 1994. It's not a song about sex. It's a song about talking about sex. But as we kind of touched on earlier with the title "Wet Ass Pussy," um, even the mention alone. Um, of getting it on was enough to turn heads. And mm-hmm. so the fact that this song was titled Let's Talk About Sex, like, had people really fucked up. Salt recounts somebody saying to her dad, I used to love your daughter's music, but now she's going too far. And her dad said to him, have you listened to the song? Mm-hmm. And then he, he, the man came back later after listening to the song and apologized for writing it off as sexually explicit yeah. when really it's, it's really not sexually explicit at all but it's, it's really about sexual communication exactly. which is so it, important one thing i will say is that this song is surprisingly long like i mean the verses are short but there's a lot of this song where it's just minutes of them saying let's talk about sex baby over and over again and nothing else that's a, you, you get points deducted for that shit <laughs> To jump ahead in time a little bit, um, when we talk about Shauna's getting some head, what year was that? Hold on. That was 2008. And Shauna's 2008 getting some head. The hook is really the most salacious part of the whole song. The lyrics themselves are pretty standard, you know, street shit, except for when she says, hey, little mama, can you give me a sec? I got something, something about as big as your leg. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, it's cool that she sampled for that hook, the getting some head. That's Too Short's voice that she sampled. Oh, wait. So yeah, it's like she's sampling like the, the, the notorious sex rapper Too Short to like say getting some head in the uh, hook of the song. I'm um, going back to Salt and Pepper. Uh, they later on would go on to release another famous song. Women sing at every wedding that happens in America. Yes. Shoop. My darling, not falling in love. And what I find really interesting about this song, uh, and I think it's really telling for the time, because this is like kind of pre-Lil' Kim, Big Twan's verse on it is the raunchiest Mm -hmm. verse on the song. Straight up. And so it sort of speaks to what people were allowed to say then. Like, you know, uh, salt and Pepper had to be like very, you know, like metaphoric. And like, ooh, I want to shoop, I yeah. want to whoop. Uh, and he's in there like... This nigga's coming in like, I'm hitting skins for the hell of it, just for the yell I get, mm-mm-mm, for the smell of it. I mean, and the, and the thing is, it's like, you got to remember, too, at a time that this is happening, there is, in a way, a sort of sexual revolution kind of going on in hip-hop at the time where just rappers across the board are like more openly and just you know what I mean matter of factly talking about sex it's just on the men's part it's manifesting itself in bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks and salt and pepper doing stuff like this which I would argue is more creative so up next we're gonna take it back to Lil Kim with her song How Many Licks from down south used to like me to spank him and come in his mouth I feel like there's. A, I feel like this is a subgenre of sexual song 
where they go through a list of all the nationalities and different types of people they fucked? Is it just me or like there's like Cole 45 by Afro Man? That is the... um, like... It's like a thing. It's like the the na- the nationality or the the racial makeup of the sexual conquest is definitely uh, it's like a style of doing it. But the 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 straight up song presented as each verse is a list of sexual you know what I mean endeavors. That is the basic structure of most like porno rap sex rap songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew yeah. a chick named this. I did this. I knew a guy named this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's pretty much how they set all of it up. So mm-hmm. even if you listen to uh, WAP, it follows that same sort of structure. It's like I wanted this. I wanted that. I wanted this. I know what that. I'm doing this. It's just it's just that that's the format for it. And then up next we had uh, Lil Kim's Not Tonight. Not tonight now. 1996. At, at the time that this song came out, and God, I'm aging myself so much on this goddamn podcast, but like at the time that this song came out, like for whatever reason, there was like a movement in hip hop that motherfuckers were really trying to start that was like, yo. Real niggas don't eat pussy. Word? Nigga, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know this for certain, but I feel that this song is in defiance of that whole shit. No, totally, yeah. Had, had you heard the song before this episode? No, I hadn't okay. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I love about this song is it's, it's got a very classic R&B slow jam type vibe. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bust out the bottle of the wine, got the candles lit. And then she's like, I fucking kicked him out the house because he wouldn't eat my pussy. Like, it's just like, what? Ooh, the, this this one, this next one, I personally feel is the best objective song. I think so, too. <laughs> On the list. I, I, this was one of my faves when I was, when it first came out. Yeah. Classic Timbaland production. Oops, Oh My by Tweet. Featuring Missy Ellis. Yeah, totally about masturbation. But it's again like the like shoot. It's subtle, and it's not the it's subtle. So t- subtle. It's not the subtlety of it because I, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I don't think the subtlety of it is what makes it. It's like better. the point. It's like it's like lyrical lingerie. Yeah, in that it leaves something to be desired. Yeah. I mean, trust trust me, I know that there's a double standard. I'm not denying the double standard. All I'm saying is that generally amongst rappers, like, if a rapper is going to make, like, a penis reference and it's, like, the most creative thing they can think of is, my dick is this big! You know, I don't... There's, there's, there's not, like, a contingency in hip-hop that matters <laughs> that's like, fuck yeah! Like, I think most people would be like, couldn't think of any flyer way to say that. Yeah, you know I mean, you like, you like that's. There's no other way. Like, you like, we haven't heard that before, millions yeah. of times before. So I think that you know, an argument, just just an argument, can be made that the bluntness isn't necessarily a creative place that the song could go. In some cases, it's not even necessarily what sounds the best. You know, sometimes less is more. Like, for example, a, a part in WAP that has that for me. I'm sorry. I know yeah. we're about to talk about Tweet, but I just want to go back to this. A part in WAP that has that for me 
is there's a part where she says, <laughs> I want you to hit that dangly thing in the back of my neck. See, that's what I thought. Like, that was creative to me. I was like, yeah, that's I, creative. I, I dig the, exactly, that's what I'm talking about. If, no if, one has ever said that before <laughs> in the rap song. If WAP was like a bunch of lines like that, on an MC level, I think I could fuck with it a lot more and be like, oh yeah, they were going in though. You know what I'm saying? Like some of those metaphors were like real, real good. Sorry, anyway, tweet. She was kind of a one-hit wonder with this one. Kind of, yeah. I mean, no, it's not even any kind of about it. I think tweet definitely. I can't think of another tweet song. But if you're going to have one hit, this is a hit to this have. This is it, nah. And I remember the summer that this came out. This came out the same summer as another song that we have on the list. But there was a lot of female pleasurement going on the summer of 2002, I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know, Tweet led the forefront with this. This was one of those songs where everybody, like when, it was one of those songs where somebody would tell you that it was about masturbation and you would be like, nah. <laughs> and then you would listen to it and it's like, oh shit. Because it sounds like a standard R&B song if you're just kind of passively listening to it. You know, it sounds like, you know, ooh, baby. It sounds like, you know, R&B swooning, crooning fair. Yeah, yeah. But when you, like, really listen to it and it's like, yo, this is explicitly about masturbation. It's just that's like a, that's something that's hard to pull off, you yeah. know, as a songwriter. So Very well done, Tweet, wherever you are now. Yeah, please, yo, make make a sequel or something. Make, make a For sequel. <laughs> Show notes. Where though. are you? Next song is My Neck, My Back by Kia. <laughs> Which NPR in 2018 ranked as number 184 on their 200 Greatest Songs by 21st Century Women. I agree. I mean, like, I mean, who am I to fucking agree? But yeah, I, I would say it's definitely one of the most important rap songs. Because again, I'm only, I'm trying to be as objective as I can. And I always approach all the music stuff from a rapper lens. And this is that. It's like... The song is about oral sex. And up to this point, the way that she's going in about the subject, Little Kim didn't do it like that. You know what I'm saying? She, so she, she picks a single <laughs> sexual act and describes it in every detail that you possibly can throughout the entire song. Yeah, like every rhyme in the song is like related to... <laughs> Whereas this is other subgenre that's like... I met up with Mary Jane and we fucked and I met up with Mary Beth and we fucked. He's, she's like, I'm going to talk about the next, the, the last six hours of my day. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean. In, in micro detail. So you have the macro level, you got the micro level. And just to, just to let you guys all know that everything is full circle. Trust me, there was a whole contingency of motherfuckers that were like, hey, I, I don't think a woman should be rapping about that. And people had to point out, oh, but, um, what about the NWA song? She swallowed it. Yeah. Yeah, you ain't got nothing to say now, right? Shut the fuck up, you know? So the the tradition continues today. The last song that I put on here, and you haven't heard this yet, is uh, this Cupcake song. And I wanted to wanted you to check it out because this is a contemporary who, again, like we said before, is not like a small artist. So hear what she's doing and compare this to even WAP. This is Cupcake with Blackjack. He said, half five, can I own it? I said, everything, I'm condoning. This nigga ain't got nowhere to stay, so I let him sleep in his pussy to help out the homeless. Time to get stupid. 
Mm. And she's just going in with bars like that throughout the song. The video is her disheveled in a room with a bunch of half-naked guys. Like, they all just had a fucking orgy and shit. <laughs> so that's what she's I... got so many creative metaphors. Exactly. And that's... That's all I ask is just go in, you know, like you can do so much with rap and you can be so creative with it. We both obviously know this with the topics that we choose to talk about. So it's like, you know, nobody likes some fucking pretentious motherfucker who's like, oh, you should rap about this or what this is, what this rap about isn't important or whatever, whatever. Fuck those dudes. Yeah. But there is something to be said about if it took you like five minutes to write some shit. It's going to sound like it took you five minutes to write that shit. And there's no reason that why when you're rapping about wet-ass pussy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, that you don't go as in on your rhymes. Put some put some sag on it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just some elbow grease in that shit. You know what I mean? Come up with a metaphor. You heard what she said? She said, you in that till it's looking like a hula hoop. What? Crazy. Well, what you got in terms of bars? Oh, I got, you know, I I, I told you I'm an Ice-T fan, so I try to keep up my my one sex song uh, album tradition going. So I got All some right. sex verses. Let's hear it. You want to hear it? Okay, let's, let's do some sex verses. All right. <laughs> Yo, can we get a beat? Oh, shit. You know what? You know what we don't do enough? Me and Lingua Franca are pretty good at this rap thing. You guys should go check out our music online. You know what I'm saying? We get busy. <laughs> you got it first? Uh, uh. Ooh. We waiting on reparations. Wait, wait. We waiting on reparations. Hurry up, hurry up. Number 25, I heard that I was a charmer and he wasn't wrong, but he hadn't heard about every guy that I'm fond of. Shut him with shiny teeth like violent piranhas and shit in Mountain Brownie Beach like fertilizer for farmers. So I met him at the bar, little buy me drinks, little ching ching, little balls of talk. Next thing I know, I'm on top and these hardest rocks going, oh God, don't stop. Ooh. I told him, fuck me like you hate me because luck's a power struggle. And then when you done, get out of my house. Yo, we ain't seen it yet. Closest feeling next, fucking eating flesh, secrets kept. It's a beast I pet, don't want to keep it check, keep it wet. Wibble fucking freaks wouldn't even guess, need to rest. I'm so fucking beat from this convenient sex Yo, dog got me hanging in the net Told me I ain't shit with her hands around my neck Getting sick of the work, I wanna go out and play Cause when I get you all alone, I don't know what to say Except My name's Dope Knife, baby I'm Lingua Franca And we are waiting on reparations Hurry up See you next week Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. 
Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.